Hey guys, Jojo here. I'm the producer of Tenacious with Andy Christensen, and I could not be more excited for you guys to join us for this episode. David Butler is here. David Butler is the former vice president of innovation and entrepreneurship at Coca-Cola. Currently, he's the chief growth officer at Kids2. They're a company located in Atlanta, Georgia, creating these revolutionary toys for young children. His career has been super diverse. He's an author, he's been on the cover of Fortune Magazine, and he is a world-renowned designer. If you've ever refilled a Coke at a Coca-Cola freestyle machine, you have David Butler to thank. If you've ever bought one of those uh, aluminum bottle can things that Coke used to have, you have David Butler to thank. David has extensive experience working with startups as well. I found this personally super, super interesting hearing his take on what he looks for in those next great ideas. David also discusses some other really fun topics like what would his deathbed meal be and what is his greatest failure? This conversation gets vulnerable. It's amazing to hear a guy of David's stature discussing things so candidly. I had such a pleasure sitting down with these two gentlemen to record this episode, and I really hope you guys enjoyed as much as I do. I know that I was furiously scrolling notes throughout the entire interview because I feel like David is just such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, it was a real honor to have him here. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Tenacious with David Butler. You know, it's so interesting. We've known each other for a long time. And I remember the first most intriguing conversation was around design with you. You're such a, a guru of design. And when you said to me, there's big design and little design, it was like mind blowing. I never even perceived there were two different types of design. Can you walk through what that is? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. This is what keeps me going. So, um, in fact, I had a, I have a really good friend that leads designed at a MailChimp a company called MailChimp, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, uh, we were talking about this last night and he, he rephrased that whole concept and he calls it infinite and finite design. And so if you think about, I just kept it simple and called it big and big and you know little, but, um, if you think about it, um, everything is designed. So the, the, the water bottle you just drank from, the monitor I'm looking at, the phone I have in front of me, everything around us is designed. And that's sort of a version of infinite design. So those are objects, you know, and they're, they're designed to, to serve a purpose. But infinite design is, is more connecting to uh, process and how things run and operate. And um, that's the difference. So most people think of design in a, I'll call it a small way, but just in, as sort of objects. But uh, you know where, where where you really get the power uh, from design is when you when you connect it to your your strategy or your process as a as a company. Quick question for you, David. A, a lot of your career seems to be centered around this idea of scaling and growth and bigger, and that's really fascinating, especially from a company standpoint. As an individual, if you take it down to an individual level, how do you scale yourself as a person? Obviously, you've kind of dipped your toes in a lot of different things, being an author as well as an entrepreneur and working in various corporate positions. What did that scale on a personal level look like for you? Yeah, sort of the whole, the whole uh, uh, the core of the concept of scaling, I really learned from Coke, uh, and they, they, they scaled the company for over 100 years. Uh, and so I really learned this uh, from Coke, but it really comes down to um, a couple of big ideas. One is uh, simplifying, and the second is standardizing. So, you know, the way that they actually scaled the company around the world was simplifying uh, down to the the core essence of the company. So things like the Spencerian script, the logo, um, the the color red that they use, the the contour bottle, 
know, these are are sort of core elements that they use to scale the company. And and they had, they had one price for their product. They had a single product, one brand, one product, one price for 70 years. So think about that, how, how, how that would, um, yeah, for, for a company that wanted to scale, that's how you do it. You know, a nickel, uh, one, one bottle, you know, and, um, so that's what they did. So going back to your, your question, uh, simplifying. So getting to where you, you're really clear on what you need, what you want to do in this, this world, and then staying true to that and just staying after that. And that's the challenge that most people have. Most companies have, you know, they sort of go all over the place and, um, and wind up nowhere. And, um, that's one of the, the hardest things to do if, if, if your goal is to scale. Now, the second piece of that, I wrote a book about this uh, around scale and agility. Once you reach scale, like Coke is in 208 countries, they're in basically every every city on the planet. You can't go anywhere in the world without <laughs> finding something from the Coca-Cola company. So once you achieve that kind of scale, uh, in order to, to stay relevant, you have to stay agile and, and be able to adapt to a changing marketplace. And um, again, I won't go further into that, but that requires a whole different approach and that was the whole point of the book that designing for scale is, is much different than designing for agility. How do you, how do you balance those two things? How do you hold those two things in tandem? The idea of standardization, but also being able to pivot and be agile. Yeah. Great question. So um, the way we started that at Coke was to, to help everyone think about uh, design as a system. So interrelated parts. So this one thing connected to this other thing. So, so rather than just really focus on one element or one package or one poster or one, anything, to understand how they all, you know, correlated or related to each other. That, that was the first thing to see, you know, to see that we were designing systems rather than sort of one-off elements. But then, you know, in designing that system, uh, to think about the system in terms of what we called fixed and flexible elements, fixed and flexible elements. So there's some things that are fixed, like Coke is never going to, you know, move off of the red that they've established hundred years ago or the Spencerian script or the country bottle. But what's flexible is how they, how they adapt their, their messages to, you know, changing times around them in different countries. So in other words, there could be a music festival in Berlin that's much different than a music festival in uh, Tokyo. So how, how do they, how do they, you know, um, leverage music in a broad way, but, but customize that per um, uh, country or, or where they are. So again, I don't know if that's clear, but it, it's the idea of, of, you know, establishing and understanding fixed and flexible elements. You know, I'll go on for a second here because maybe it'll, it'll land. I uh, really took the idea from, uh, Legos. So everyone understands Legos and Legos has, has remained re- relevant using the same principles. So, uh, Lego is about a 50 year old company and they established that, that core set of Legos again, 50 years ago, uh, that we've all played with as kids. Or if you have kids, your kids have played on, played with them and you've stepped on them if you're in my case. Um, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, you know, that core set is, is let's say fixed elements, but the way they say relevant and, and adapt is, uh, to, you know, changing wants and desires of kids is they, they put out new sets like Harry Potter or uh, Barbie or, you know, these other sets that you can combine with your, your core set of Legos. Now when Harry, po- Harry Potter loses, you know, relevancy or, you know, goes out of fashion, they can just drop Harry Potter, but they've got their core set of elements always there. So again, I'll go back. So that's the idea. So it's, it's having fixed and flexible elements so you can adapt to, to changing needs. Yeah, I'm remembering back to the Coke days, and I'm a beverage guy, so I kind of geek out on the Coke world, but I remember you saying you got the job at Coke, and your boss at that time hands you a Post-it note and says, here's your job description. Can you talk about that? Yeah, great uh, great one, Andy. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. But um, yeah, first of all, getting into a company like Coke, you kind of go through a gauntlet of uh, conversations or interviews, right? So 
I'd gone through 10 plus interviews over uh, several days. And um, the last interview I had was with the, the person who was leading brand Coke. And that guy had such a broad vision uh, for Coke that uh, frankly, I, I wasn't that, not to sound egotistical, but I wasn't that impressed with the interviews that I'd had. Not that they were with me either, but anyway, that guy, once I had that interview, I, I thought if I could work with this guy at this company, um, I, I, you know, I would love it. So I was all in at that point. So um, anyway, I got the job, went into, you know, first day at the office, went to my boss's office. Her name was Esther Lee, a super powerful, you know, lovely woman, very creative woman. Uh, she was the chief creative officer at the time. I reported to the CEO. And um, anyway, I, so I asked her, where should I start, Esther? And um, I would say that she had such confidence in me, probably more than I had in myself, but <laughs> she had such, such confidence in me that she simply wrote down three things in a post-it note. Uh, the first one was get to know as many people as you can in Coke. That was the first thing. Uh, second one was focus on Coke. And number three was uh, let me know when you need help. That was literally what she, what she wrote. <laughs> and, um, and so the, and I did just basically what I did for over a decade there. So the, and Coke is about a million people and any, any company like that, there's no one person that can actually do anything, uh, including the CEO. You, you have to really get to know people and build trust across the company. So uh, that's what I did. And I spent a lot of time on planes and uh, just, just did that, built relationships across the company. Number two, Coke was, um, was and at this point probably still is, <laughs> uh, the lion's share of the revenue. So at that point, it was about 70% of the revenues of the company. So I could work on, you know, Barks root beer, but that wasn't going to move the needle. So if you could prove it out on Coke, uh, you'd either go down hard or, <laughs> or win. And so it worked out well for me, but, uh, so we, fo we focused on Coke first. And then, um, and then lastly, you know, she, she was always there, uh, to help me when I needed it. So it was great. Well, you were a pretty tenacious guy while you were there. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were behind the freestyle vending what would you call that soda machine vending machine yeah a hundred and something flavors breakthrough technology i know across the scale uh international point of sale uh the contour aluminum can slash how do you say that it's not a bottle but it looks like a bottle yeah contour bottle yeah the aluminum bottle yeah 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 so yeah we had a great run there and it, it wasn't it's not about me so the huge team and uh, a lot of great people working together but um, yeah, the, uh, the, the sort of good news for me, you know, when I arrived at Coke and looking back, it's easy to tell the story, right. But, um, the Coke was pretty broken. Uh, they went through three CEOs and I was there, uh, three CMOs, just the, the top of the, of the management team just changed many, many times there. And, um, so anyway, the, the company was going through significant change and challenges, you know, when I arrived. So it was really good timing and, uh, we were able to take those opportunities and, and turn those into you know, uh, solutions and really, you know, um, solve a lot of the business challenges that the company had through design, which was the whole point. So it was great. So it seems like a lot of your career has centered around kind of also working with like seed stage startups and sort of up and coming ideas. Obviously, your role as an idea creator is probably a little bit different than your than your role as an idea curator. So I'm wondering if you could kind of differentiate the two for me and, and what do you look for in great ideas? Yeah, great question. So um, towards the end of my career at Coke, the last two or three years there, uh, I was asked by the CEO to um, focus on innovation. And uh, frankly, I just, I went back to him and said, uh, you know, what Mutar, Mutar Kent was the CEO at the time. I just said, Mutar, what, what do you mean by innovation? Because there's a lot of innovation happening across the company. And so basically he said, um, how can we do what startups do? 
how can we do what startups do, meaning move at the speed that they do and, and create the kind of value and, and high growth that, that startups are able to create. So, um, you know, we created this model, this uh, business model where Coke would start off with, uh, you know, identifying big challenges that the company had and then finding early stage startups uh, that were focused on the same challenges, same problems. So not necessarily developing something for Coke, but just really focusing on, on the, the problem, same types of problems that the company had. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, we developed this uh, platform, this investment portfolio called Coca-Cola Founders and did that uh, 12 times around the world. So found uh, 12 uh, startups, invested in those 12 and um, you know partnered with them as they developed their their product and then their, their company around that product. So to answer, answer your question, it's really focusing on the problem itself. Like uh, most successful startups win when they focus on a big problem that a lot of people have. And the ones that usually die out are the, are the opposite ones that focus on, you know, sort of small problems that not many people have. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, speaking of big, what would you say is one of your biggest failures across your career? Yeah. Biggest failures. Um, career wise, probably um, the, the the biggest failure and the, the failure that shaped the rest of my life uh, professionally uh, was my first job. I got fired from my first job. And um, uh, the way that worked is I got out of school, got a job in an advertising agency as an art director. I uh, thought it was amazing. First time I had money in several years, um, <laughs> bought a car and you know enjoyed that sort of run. And uh, the way that advertising agencies work uh, back then and still do is when they lose big accounts, they usually lay off their, their creative staff. And then when they, they get a new account, they, they rehire that staff or hire, you know, different uh, creative staff. Uh, but of course, I didn't know that at the time. So, you know, I, I kind of roll into work one day and, and I knew that we were having challenges with the, with the business, but I uh, was asked to go to the president's office and walked in and very uh, Donald Trump-like, he said, you're fired, you know? <laughs> and so, um, you know, and I, that just reeled me. I, I know, cause I was, I was great at what I did. And, you know, I just thought I was on top of the world at that point, you know, coming out of college, not knowing much. <laughs> um, but then uh, I learned two things at that point. And I was around uh, 24, 24, 25, something like that. And uh, I learned two things at that point. Uh, number one, uh, always have a plan B, always have a plan B. And um, number two, I decided at that moment, I was going to do something big. And I was going to get out of my comfort zone and go for it. And uh, I hadn't had that kind of push until then. And uh, but I took it. And that's so I packed up everything and moved to Atlanta. And I decided I wanted to work for a design company that was designing the Olympic Games. I want to be at that kind of level, that, that kind of world stage. And I identified three three firms in Atlanta that I that were all working on the Olympic Games. Uh, but I had the sort of top three firms. Not only wanted to work at those three firms um, and call me naive or whatever, but I got a job at the second firm, worked there for two years, and then got a job at leading design at the at the first firm two years later. So that kind of um that kind of shock or that kind of, you know rocking my world was what I needed at that point in my life. And I'm, I'm glad that happened. That's amazing. I mean, seriously, like they say trials make you bitter or better. Like you got knocked on your back, knocked off your feet. And like how long later you decided I'm going to go do something great in the world. Really? Yeah, that was it. I mean, for me at that point, it was either it was either go big or go home, like literally. And I, and so I packed it up, put everything in storage, drove my car to Atlanta, Georgia, and went for it. You know. So, Damn, that's yeah. bold. That's tenacious. <laughs> There's a lot more to come after this short break, uh, including a brief discussion between Andy and David Butler about the advice they would give to their younger selves. Uh, don't miss out on this. So you guys stick around. 
Okay, I'm going to level with you guys. If you have not gone to andychristensen.com yet, you are absolutely missing out. Not only does Andy offer a wide array of amazing online resources, a lot of which are free, he also has an offer going on right now that I, I can't rave about enough. It's a free coaching call that you can book today. That's right. You can go to andychristensen.com, plug in your info, and you will be set up Uh, on a real live phone call with Andy to ask him questions, get advice, and start to figure out what your next big breakthrough is. We've talked about it before, but Andy is an incredible coach with 20 years of experience and an amazing pedigree working with business executives and corporations. If you're not quite ready to jump into the coaching thing yet, totally understandable. He also has an amazing resource right now that I'm a huge fan of. I did it yesterday, I think. It's called the 10-Year Letter. It's an incredible paradigm shifting exercise where you sit down and you're by yourself. You can do it tonight. uh, After you listen to this podcast, you can sit down and kind of map out your future in a really succinct and easy way. So go to andychristensen.com right now to book a free coaching call and download a couple of these amazing resources that he has available. I'm 22 years old. And one of the common threads that I've noticed is that a lot of these formative experiences um, of kind of like shaping the tenacious nature of some of these incredible people we get to talk to has been some of these things that happen in that early 20s, early to mid 20s era. I know, Andy, for you, I've heard some of your personal stories. To turn it around on you, Andy, I have a question for you. What do you think? And then David, also, what do you think? makes that season of life unique? And what are some of the things that people, a lot of our listener base is in that season of life right now? What are some of the things they should be doing now to form those tenacious habits and to get in the right mindset for future success, as well as just kind of avoid avoid some pitfalls? Man, I'll I'll go for that real quick. Looking back, I think two things really influenced me that I, I would, if I went back, I would repeat both of these. And it's what David, your first boss said was meet a lot of people. I met with a lot of smart people, older people than me, and just asked them, pick their brain. How did you do it? What would you do different? I learned from them. And then the other big thing that I didn't know was big at that time was garbage in, garbage out, positivity in, positivity out. I started listening to a lot of, it sounds a little cheesy, but self-help, like Zig Ziglar, Dale Carnegie. I couldn't get enough of that stuff because the, the negativity will just eat your lunch if you let it and it was eating mine and I had to pump in positivity to just stay on track. Yeah, for me, um, and again, I'll just be vulnerable for a minute, but um, I had a really clear picture of what I wanted my professional life to look like, my career. And I was I was on a path and I was all about it. And um, I didn't take the, the same amount of time, I think, to think about what I wanted in terms of my my relationship with, uh, you know, my partner, my, you know, wife. And I'm um, yeah, I, I feel like I didn't know exactly what I wanted. And, and I, I think looking back, if I had to put the same, I'll use the word tenacity into <laughs> thinking about both sides of that equation, uh, that would have been better for me. So uh, in my personal case, um, that relationship ended in divorce and that's been another challenge, personal challenge in my life. But uh, but I have three amazing daughters and great relationship with all three of them. And so from that perspective, it's all good. But again, if I could look back and go back to my 20s, I would have I would have been as tenacious about my career as I was as I was about my uh, you know personal relationship at the time. So, 
Hey, on a, I don't know, personal or professional basis, who do you look at with admiration? Who do you model? Who do you admire? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, yeah, for me, uh, I've always admired, you know, uh, again, I've said this a couple of times, but it means a lot to me, uh, purpose-driven people, you know, people who really understand or try to understand what their purpose is in this life and go after that and stay true to that. And so recently with all the political drama that we've seen, you know, just I go back to people like President Obama, former President Obama, and just just look at <laughs> look at that, you know, and it's what a contrast to, and again, I won't get political here, but what a contrast you see when people really understand who what they're about and, and are really true to that and stay true to that in an authentic way versus, you know, other personalities that, that are at the same, you know, global stage, but, um, but aren't, don't have that kind of motivation. So for me, I, I, I really gravitate towards, uh, again, people who understand their purpose and, and stay true to their purpose. Makes a lot of sense. It, it seems to tie into design, purpose and design. Are they similar? Yeah. So if, um, I know you, that was a sort of seated question there, but, you know, back in the Coke days, um, I read a book, um, uh, uh, gosh, uh, what's the name? Um, now I'm blanking out. Um, uh, Purpose Driven Life. What's that guy's name? Anyway, I'm yeah, blanking yeah. out. R- yeah, Rick Warren. Uh, Rick Warren. So I read uh, Rick Warren's uh, book, and that made a, uh, obviously an impact on, on me, the way I thought. I read it actually many times. And um, you know what I thought was, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if, if businesses could connect design to help them deliver on their purpose? And I just really thought about that a lot. And then, you know, obviously I was deep in the side coke. And started doing that. So we took the the goals. To, so the CEO at the time had, had created a ten year vision, and this was uh, uh, 2010. So it was a 2020 vision, and um, you know I really connected that vision. Uh, and there are several tenets to that vision, uh, to you know how the company was, I was trying to encourage the company to design, and, and really you know connected that. So like purpose driven design meant designing to deliver the vision that the, the CEO had created. And again, everyone could relate to that. It wasn't you know, artsy. It wasn't <laughs> anything weird. It was a, uh, it was very clear and very understandable, which was part of it. All right. And, and I always ask this question. I don't know why I just, maybe <laughs> I love food. <laughs> so if you had one meal left, David, what meal are you going to eat? <laughs> That's funny. Um, meal. So I don't know if it would be a meal or a place. So, um, again, I've traveled to 40 countries around the world and there's one country that I love to go. I've been, been many times, and um, uh, country is Israel, and the city is Tel Aviv. So, Tel Aviv, you can you can eat literally steps from the the Mediterranean Ocean and watch the sunset, and eat you know huge sardines and just that kind of fresh food right in the middle of you know the desert with all the everything you would think about uh, Israel as a nation, but uh, but also Tel Aviv is a very forward looking design centric company uh, um, city. And so anyway, I've, I've done that many times. So I'd probably go back to that you know, bar on the beach and eat sardines <laughs> watching the sunset over the Mediterranean. But no steak. <laughs> no steak. Yeah, I don't, I don't really eat meat. I eat fish, but that's about it. <laughs> well, it, it's so funny. Uh, I had just learned this recently about you, and I've known you for a long time. And when we've met the last couple of times, we've gone to steak restaurants. <laughs> and, and I'm sure I've gotten a steak, and I didn't even notice uh, – I don't know what this means about me, but I didn't notice you did not have steak because you're a vegetarian. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. why are we meeting at a steak restaurant? <laughs> because they're it's cool. So funny. They're cool. Steak restaurants are really cool. I just don't, <laughs> eat, I just don't eat the steak. <laughs> 
David, is there anything else that you would share or want to share with the listeners? Yeah, the only thing I thought about, so you had asked me this question, so I thought a little bit about it. And um, yeah, I'd say the, the one thing that I would, uh, you know, if you forget everything I've, I've said, I'd encourage you, if you're, if you're looking to lead or, or you are a leader in whatever scenario you're in, is for me, leadership is about clarity. Clarity. So the people that lead are the, are the, are the people that can, that can take the complexity of the company or the complexity of the situation and create a clear direction for people to follow. And you can be anybody. You can, doesn't matter what your title is, but if you can take complexity and, and turn that into clarity, that's how you lead. And so I just, I leave you with that. Lead with clarity. Man, what's that old, old line? Clear as kind, unclear as unkind. Man, there's power there. As you kind of move forward into this work with kids too, this work with Be Curious Partners and kind of what you're doing now, all of the, the lessons you've learned and, and kind of how your life has shaped up thus far, what do you think is the biggest change you're going to make for your own life moving forward that you hope will have the highest impact? Yeah, that's a great big question. Um, I'd answer that in a couple of ways. Uh, the first way is I always want to keep learning. So, you know, that's just who I am. So, you know, keep learning, stay curious. And so whatever I'm working on, I'm always looking for something new to be focused on, um, no matter what the opportunity is. Uh, and then the second thing is the reason why I met kids too, is it was an opportunity to bring, uh, sort of create a, a gestalt, you know, bring all the, the different elements of my uh, background experience into one place and, and really focus that in this case on uh, new parents. And it's interesting going to off the subject a little bit here, but when you become a new parent, um, you know, that's one of the, the few times in, in your life that you reset, you reset on everything. You reset on the brands that you admire, you know, the, the car you will drive or you won't drive or where you will live or you won't live, you know, all these things. I'll never live here or I'll never drive this. I'll never live in that. <laughs> you find yourself doing all that, you know, and um, in, in some cases. And um, so anyway, as a new parent, you reset just across your life. And I think that's just a very interesting time of life to focus on. So that's what I'm completely focused on. So whether we're, you know, we're talking about investing, so I invest through a fund called Be Curious Partners. And um, we invest in companies that are using technology and new business models to make it easier to be a parent. Uh, so that's that's one company I'm associated with. Another company is called Hello Einstein Studios, where we make new content, uh, entertainment content for kids uh, zero to 12 to help them stay curious. And um, and then the third company is Kids2. And again, I lead marketing, product development, uh, consumer insights. And, and really what we're trying to do there is create products to make it easier to be a parent. So anyway, in, in all those cases, it's all focused on on again, making it easier to be a parent. So um, for me, it's, it's just really channeling all the experience that I personally have at this point in my life uh, behind a big, a big idea. And that's to, to make it easier to be a parent. So. Okay, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. From the czar of design, David Butler, stay curious, be purposeful. Good words to live by. 